0: Today's Thursday. It's incredible. October the 5th. Guy here joined today by the great Elizabeth Young. Dan Nathan's at a conference. I mean, Dan's got a lot going on. Good for him. Um, A lot happening in the market. And we're going to look at our rundown for today because that's what we do, Elizabeth. Check this out. We're getting all fancy here. Today we're going to talk about the following things. I'm sure other things as well. S&P 500, absolutely. We're at a key technical level. Elizabeth looks at the wicked witch of the spread. (laughs) Look at that little, is that like (laughs) a little emoji there or something? And of course, if it's Thursday, it's butters with his bank earnings preview. Before we get to that, it's amazing. Listen, you play 162 games in major league baseball. The season is last forever, Mm. but in the course of 24 hours, the season Mm. can end like that. Yeah. And that's yeah. what happened to the Brewers in Milwaukee as they faced the Diamondbacks of Arizona.
1: A lot of opportunities last night in the game to score some more runs, and we didn't take them. Squandered. Floated, or as as my, as my dad would say, ducks on the pond. And ducks were left on the pond more than once. So here we are, season over. After one of the best regular season records yeah. that I can remember in my lifetime, uh, it's too bad. Yeah, it is too a bad. Real, a and, real and, and that's,
0: listen, that's the, the heartache of being a baseball fan at any sports team. It all ends so abruptly. Um, as a Yankee fan this year, it ended abruptly in July, but that's for another show. <laughs> so you're on the Twitter. We tell people all the time, follow her at Liz Young Strat. But you actually tweeted something out, which I, I mean, I love when you do this stuff. I mean, look at you getting all fancy. Yes, yeah. he is approaching those key levels. And that's what we sort of teased in our rundown. And we're right there. And I think that's a fancy chart that you brought forth. And we have some other ones as well. But speak to the importance of this, because I do think, you know, now the battle lines have been drawn, Liz.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to give my analyst Mario props for this. He's the one who made the chart. And I always get so nervous when I post technical charts, because there are a lot of technicians out there that know a lot more about technicals than me. (laughs) So I try to make sure they are Absolutely accurate, but the level is 4,200. We've been talking about it for a long time. I'm looking at my machine right now. We're at 4,239. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel like we're going to get to 4,200 today unless something terrible happens this afternoon, but we're pretty close. So you're, I'm going to let you do whatever that crocodile or alligator, the, whatever yeah. the reptile metaphor is you guys have for this. But the reason this level is important, very close to the 200-day moving average, as we know, that is a big level of support that we try to see if, if it's going to blow through and go down further, or if it's going to bounce off of, uh, and it's at the retracement level. So it's a mental <laughs> threshold. That's what a lot of this usually is. It's a mental threshold. And you start to wonder, okay, if we get down to that mental threshold, is that going to be enough for buyers to come back even bearish buyers to come back and say you know what that's good I'm happy here let's get back in I yeah. would I would suggest I don't think that it's going to quite be enough this
0: time Yeah that's exactly let's go back to your slide real quick cuz yours is fancier than ours but and you have some moving averages now if I had a guess the yellow one is probably the 150 day or is that the 200, 200. day that's the, 200. the other one yep. is the 50 day so the green mm-hmm. The green that's sloping lower is the 50-day. Now, why is that important? Well, it's not important yet, but for the first time in a while, it's starting to sort of trend lower. It's clearly reversed. It's clearly starting to roll over, so keep that in mind. The 200-day is still rising but flattening out. Keep that in mind. People will start to talk about this in earnest if, in fact, that 50-day crosses through the 200-day on the downside The same way, by the way, it crossed through the 200-day on the upside, and then you saw the subsequent move in the equity market. So this is something that armchair technicians will be looking at, 50 crossing the 200-day. Obviously, we're not there yet. The 50-day moves faster than the 200-day by definition, uh, but it's something that we should watch. And then go back to our chart real quick. You'll see, I mean, this uptrend seemingly has been violated. We're right at our moving average line, which should theoretically be support. We're up against those highs we made. That's sort of 4,190-ish, 4,200-ish level. So it all makes a lot of sense here, Elizabeth. And that's why I think, in my opinion, you're starting to see, I don't say violent moves, but you see some of the reversals. You're going to see a lot of reversals at these levels until either something breaks to the downside or the market determines that, you know what, we've held for whatever reason and we're going to continue this upward trajectory. I will tell you, I think everybody knows, I think we're going to break, but let price be your guide to a certain extent here.
1: Yeah. So for the everybody playing bingo at home, when the 50 day goes below the 200 day, that's I called a death it. cross.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: And if the 50-day goes above, when it crosses above the 200-day, that's called a golden cross. Mm-hmm. So you usually see momentum continue until the death cross happens and so on and so forth. So the thing about the 50-day, and I covered this in my piece, I think it was last week, the fact that it's rolled over, the 50-day is, is useful in the short term right 50 trading days is roughly two and a half months or so Mm -hmm. so in the short term what it tells you is that short-term momentum has changed direction now that doesn't mean that it's definitive doesn't mean it's going to stay that way but it does mean that short-term momentum has seen an inflection point now it could go back up you're going to see the 50-day kind of wiggle around more than the other lines but as we know the 200-day moving average it moves much more slowly and is probably more of a tell for investors over the next three to six months or so. So watch those lines, watch for the death cross. We're nowhere near the death cross right now, but it is moving in that direction and you're seeing the difference between the 200 day and the, and the 50 day narrow. So the other thing I would say here is this, we've got an S&P that is down. I don't I don't know off the top of my head, I could pull it up really quickly. From the local high in July, mm-hmm. it's down, I'm gonna guess what, eight, little more than 8% 9
0: ish, but yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So we haven't even hit correction territory yet. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm sitting here saying, oh my gosh, I've been bearish all year. And when is it actually going to happen? That's not why I'm saying stocks have to continue going down just because I'm trying to prove myself right. It's because we haven't even hit A normal correction yet. And I think everybody can agree that at the end of July, things felt pretty extended. And then you get into August, September, rising oil prices, higher inflation, and it just feels like valuations should not have been that high. And even some of the biggest, most beloved names came off of their tops. So this is a time where I think you have to at least hit Some of those thresholds of, all right, 10%, like a double digit correction. You have to start seeing indications that things feel oversold. We're not there yet in a number of different places. And we have to wait to see if it stands at the 200 day moving average, if it bounces off that. My tweet, the the end of my tweet was a question of will this bring buyers in? Will buyers step Mm -hmm. in and actually do this? I don't know the answer to that, obviously, but I don't think this time there's going to be enough buyers to offset. The people who are still selling.
0: I'm with you, sister, and we'll see how this plays itself out. But that was a great chart, it was a great tweet. That's why we highlighted. We got a question from V. Apologize because I'm going to read. Can you help explain why yields rising equates to outflows from equities? If money is leaving stocks and treasuries, where is it going? Elizabeth, you want to take a shot at that?
1: Sure. Well, rising treasury yields doesn't necessarily mean outflows from all equities. Usually it means outflows from what we consider long duration equities. And those would be things like growth stocks. What makes them long duration is that you buy them under the understanding and under the premise that they will grow for a long term period into the future. In order to grow, and many growth stocks fall into this category, in order to grow, they have to finance their growth. They have to invest in the business first in order to drive that growth in the future. As rates rise, yields being one of those indicators, as rates rise, financing today becomes much more expensive for them to get and actually prohibitive in many environments for them to get. So it becomes more expensive for them to finance their growth into the future. It also makes the value, the present value, I won't get into the math of this, you can look it up, the present value of their future cash flows, less valuable today. So it means, okay, I'm not going to pay as much for what I expect them to do in the future, because of the higher cost of capital. So that's the, that's the theoretical relationship. The Mm -hmm. other thing is, it just constrains capital in the economy. And if capital is constrained in the economy, you don't have as much money floating around. It's not even just yields. It's a lot of other things. And we'll talk about this when we get into my note, but yields are just one of the benchmarks. There's a lot of other rates that are usually going up at the same time, things like mortgage rates, the prime rate. So then it makes capital more expensive for consumers to get. And then they pull back on their spending. If consumers aren't spending, companies aren't gaining revenue and things go down.
0: This yield move been, no, and I think you're right. I mean, this yield move is pretty epic. We had Carter on yesterday. You know, he's his work suggests that we're in the upper portion or right up against the level in this sort of pen, not pennant formation, but this sort of upward trend. So, you know, this trend that's been in place since the spring, we're sort of bumping against the top of it. Now, it would make sense to see some sort of back and fill. And we're going to talk about this in a second in terms of treasury yields. But the question really is, you know, what's going to get us there, by the way, Doug Cass pointing out, he's texting me that, you know, he sees us probably at a short to medium term oversold condition, which is probably true. I mean, well, I mean, statistically it is true. I'll say this and Doug knows this and you know it as well. You know, the market could go sideways for a period of time here and sort of work off those oversold conditions pretty quickly, Um, without it going meaningfully higher. But again, you know, we'll see how this plays itself out. We'll take a quick look at the NASDAQ chart because this one looks like, and I'm saying I'm being careful here, looks like we may have broken to the downside. And obviously the moving average comes in significantly lower. So if in fact we've broken this uptrend, Liz, it stands to reason that we're going to take a look at the 200-day moving average, which by the way, is still sloping higher. So that's going to be interesting to see how it plays itself out. So as you mentioned, you know, a healthy move here and not out of the realm of what is normal and what we've seen historically would be a move to this magnitude. And we don't need to opine on this. We talk about this chart every day. But this is something that I want to get into because we have been talking about this on Fast Money, on, on the tape, on Market Call. You have brought it up. I brought it up, no doubt at Barclays today, and it sort of made me snicker a bit or laugh or giggle. It's, it's as if they've been watching the show, but I'll read. Only in equities crash, they use the word I did not, can rescue the bond market, Barclays says. There's no magic levels of yields that when reached will automatically draw enough buyers to spark a sustained bond rally. In the short term, we think one of scenarios where bonds rally material, if risk assets fall sharply in the coming weeks. All right, so let's stop there. One of the things that I've said, and I believe, is the main reason that I could see yields going lower at this point would be a precipitous market sell-off, an equity sell-off, that would force the hands of people to sort of find their way into um, what, what they deem to be safe haven assets, Right. I think that's the perception. So a flight to quality, you've heard that term a lot. A flight to quality vis-a-vis the bond market would actually make yields go lower. So what I think potentially could happen, and I think Barclays clearly sees it the way that I do, and I think you do as well, yields going lower won't necessarily be a good thing. Yields won't go lower and make the equity market go higher. I think an equity market sell-off is what's going to trigger the yield lower move. Thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So, first of all, if the Fed does what they say they're going to do, and if their plan comes to fruition, yields will not go lower this year. I don't think that's entirely likely because, in order for yields to go lower, like you said, I think it is going to be the result of appetite because of fear in risk markets. That could be equities, also very likely high yield bonds, right? So, if fear enters risk markets in the form of a sell off, a further sell off in equities, and a widening or a blowout in spreads, in high yield bonds, then I think treasury yields do go lower from here. However, in the meantime, we're in this place where they seem to be going nowhere but higher, or at least staying somewhere between 4.7 and 5%. And we're all just waiting for that 5% mark. And then we're looking to 6%. And I want to answer the rest of the question before, where is the money going? If it's coming out of bonds and it's coming out of equities, There's a couple different answers to that. Number one is that it could still be going to cash. You can still get a really good yield in money markets. You can also still get a pretty good yield in a really short-term treasury. It doesn't have to be the two-year. It can be the six-month. It can be something shorter than that. So I think a lot of it is going to cash. Also note, obviously, the meteoric rise that we had in oil prices. So Mm -hmm. a lot of the money that as equities were selling off, energy was still doing okay during that period. So some of it going into the commodity complex, right? You're getting uh, inflation reads that are higher, maybe some of it going there. And we've got home prices that are still elevated. So obviously somebody's doing something. So maybe there's permits still going and there's people putting money into building real estate. There's a lot of different places it could go. I think the easiest place that it's been going though is cash.
0: Jolie is asking guy. That's me. Are you still bullish on gold? Do you think using NUGT is prudent? So I'm not as familiar with NUGT. I know what it is, but so I'll answer the question. Yes, I am. And I understand that the price action, if we can throw a gold chart up, it's been very challenging to say the least over the last couple of weeks, as by the way, The energy market, specifically crude, has been challenging over the last couple of weeks. The move from 95-ish down to 81-ish has happened in a very short period of time. I understand why gold is going low. I'm I'm not saying, you know what, I agree with it, but I understand it. Yields higher, dollar higher, historically is not good for gold. Totally get it. My thesis has been something is going to break along the way and gold is going to be in play. I'll say this. I've said it. I'll say it one more time. Last year, you saw central banks buy $70 billion worth of gold, 1,221 or so tons, which was a historic amount. This year, they're on pace to do similar. It is not, again, using the word manifested itself in the price. I think it's just a matter of time. And if in fact Barclays is right, And you see a yields going lower because of an equity market, their word, not mine, crash. I think people will find their way into gold. You know, this is a, it's somewhat glib, but it's true. Gold is not a story until it is. And I just, in my opinion, given all the things that we've talked about, what's going on with China, the, you know, the continued problems in Europe, obviously, Bank of Japan has their own issues. Central banks buying gold to hedge their ineptitude. I think it's just inevitability here, Elizabeth, with the gold market. I know, you know, you're not a tinfoil hat person, but if you want to sort of opine, otherwise we could go to your very seasonal and topical note.
1: No, I got some, I got some thoughts on this and you're right. I'm not a tinfoil hat, but I did play Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. And I had, I know you did.
0: And you, and maybe, I don't know if we can do this or not. We should share the picture at some <laughs> point. It's fantastic.
1: We can share it at some point. Uh, I think the concept that you, laid out i'm gonna dig deeper into it because i think it actually is useful for a lot of different things so you mentioned dollar higher yields higher not good for gold obviously we can see the price action in gold on this chart i used utilities as my final trade on halftime report i I think it was two weeks ago and got some questions stern questions if not accusations about it being a terrible call i didn't use utilities because i thought it was going to do well the next day Mm -hmm. i used utilities For the exact point that you're making, the conditions that are setting up are looking like we will go into some sort of risk off period. And yes, I'm fully aware of the run up that had happened in utilities before that. Maybe they were even overbought. But in the event of a risk off period, I do want those defensive sectors in the portfolio. And at a time when the market Is falling and I don't think it's done falling. It's tough to choose stuff to buy into a falling market. So you look at places where you can build up some of that defensive exposure. And the phrase that I always like to use, cheesy or not, you can't buy insurance when the firefighters are in your driveway. Mm -hmm. So you do have to buy it when it feels like it doesn't make any sense to buy it. And then you have to wait for it to work. Sometimes you won't necessarily need it, but chances are you're not loading up your. 80% 80% of your portfolio in utilities and gold. So the exposure that you have there is probably not going to weigh you down too much in the meantime, and it'll help you sleep at night.
0: That move, you know, utilities are sort of a sector or a group or whatever that should not move five, six, seven percent in a day. And that's mm-hmm. what we've seen mm-hmm. over the last week or so. I mean, it's just again, to use the term, it's historic what's happened. It's almost mind-boggling to see a move of that magnitude. To the downside, understanding again what's transpiring. And I'll say this before we get to your note, and I'm sorry that we're sort of not getting there yet, but we will. You're seeing a lot of weird things over the last week or so. The move in crude oil from, again, from 95 down to 81 defies explanation unless Mm -hmm. somebody out there or some hedge fund or entity is blowing up. Again, the yep. dollar move has been interesting. Obviously, we talk about the bond move over and over again, but then you layer it on it an XLU and some of these other things, and you say to yourself, somebody's getting carried out, and the market has a way of sniffing that, that stuff out, and the market has a way of inflicting the most amount of pain for an injured fish or predator or, or participant who's ever out there. And my sense is, over the next week or so, we will be hearing about or reading some hedge fund entity, whatever the hell it is, blew up. And this is sort of the, the aftermath. Yeah. I do and, well, anyone, go ahead.
1: We're speculating a lot, right? And, and pontificating about what could happen. Absolutely. But, but you got to think about it. And I think about things a lot this way. Six months from now, when we look back on this period, is it going to look really obvious, the headlines that were about to come? And if you think about the rise in 10-year yields the rise in borrowing costs, and we'll talk about this in my note, how much more expensive it's gotten for consumers, for businesses, for the government, for everybody to cover their borrowing. It may not come as any surprise that somebody who was highly levered, if it was a corporation that was highly levered or a hedge fund that was highly levered, got blown out in an environment where yields marched this much higher in such a short period of time. So I agree. I think there is more than a non-zero chance that we hear about something later and we will understand what their exposures were and we will understand that a lot of the uh, catalyst for them being blown out was because Capital got so expensive over such a short period of time.
0: Dan will say that, Guy, you probably saw this movie when it came out in 1939, and he would not be that far off. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm sure it's one of yours. Apparently, the urban legend suggests that if you were to play the wall the the or dark side of the moon or one of the who, the the who the pink floyd albums at the beginning when the lion roars it all lines up this is how i would have titled it by the way so yields have been rising right yields uh-huh. have been rising watch what i would have done i would have done wicked witch of the yeast but that's just <laughs> me <laughs> anyway, of course the Wicked Witch of the East was the one that got whacked by the house yeah. and Margaret Hamilton so came in. We know the whole thing. But let's yeah. this was a great note. That's a, that's how my mind works. Again, I'm not suggesting I'm right, mm. but that's how I would have gone with it. But it's you know, yeast spread, it all works. Speak Something to me. about the word yeast is just gross to me. <laughs> well, That's for another show or commercial. And yes, I don't Uh,
1: But yes, this is very obviously a Wizard of Oz themed piece. Rate spreads and yields was a little toss to lions and tigers and bears. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we've got the Wicked Witch of the spread. I did spread because it's sort of I think it's called assonance, not alliteration, but assonance when the vowels have the same sound. So instead of Wicked Witch of the West, you know, West spread. Anyway, I, I, I get it. I mean, I, it, I think about these a lot harder than I think people give me credit for. <laughs> so here's the thing about the spread, and this is a perfect show for it to be just you and me, because yeah. what have we
0: said for so long uh, that it's not you, the inversion? You, for a second. You said this almost a year ago, and we've had this conversation. You know, when, when two's, tens went out to, I think, 108 the first time and then came back in, you know, you started saying, listen, it's not the it's not the inversion that you should be concerned about. It's the re-steepening. Obviously, mm-hmm. the inversion is a problem, but it leads to a re-steepening, which is a bigger problem. So yep. you brought this up a number of times, and now we're seeing it play out in a amazingly quick way right before our very eyes. So please continue.
1: Yep. So We've seen the 2's 10 spread go from negative 110 basis points in early July, frankly, on my birthday. It hit oh. 100, negative 110 on July 3rd, intraday. And when I wrote this note, it was at about 31, 32 basis points. Incredible. That is a huge difference. Now, here's the confusing part about this re-steepening, is that it's happening for what, we, what people will tell you or what bulls will tell you is a good reason. It's happening because the 10-year is rising, not because the two-year is falling. Well, if the 10-year rises for long enough and constricts everything long enough, I can almost guarantee you that the two-year will eventually have to fall. So this, so far, looks like the 10-year is just going up because economic data has surprised to the upside, everything is better than we thought it was going to be, we Marginally, are standing rate okay. hikes. Yeah. Yes, so that's what people will argue. That would be the mm-hmm. rebuttal to us, right? It would be, yeah, it's re-steepening, but it's re-steepening for the right reasons. And I won't argue with that because the math and the chart here that I'm showing you does say that. However, as we re-steepen, here's the issue. The long-term average, if if this is a march towards a more normal environment, so if this suggests that, all right, the economy is stronger than we thought it was going to be, so the tenure will continue to move higher and and it'll reflect economic prospects going forward. The long-term average of the twos, 10 spread is a positive 88 basis points, which means that if the two year stays here, which is what that theory suggests, if the two year stays here, the 10 year has to go to six. Mm -hmm. And then we sit in an environment where we better have strong enough growth to withstand 6% in the 10 year. We better have strong enough revenues, strong enough consumer demand and a labor market that stays this strong to withstand a 5.1% two year and almost 6% tenure. That's where the whole thing breaks down for me because I don't think that's the case. I don't think that we're going to have strong enough growth to do that. I don't think we're going to have strong enough corporate margins to withstand that. And I don't think that borrowing can continue at this clip because of the increased interest costs. And we'll get to that with a couple of charts after this, but I want to pause there and give you a chance to
0: talk. So, you know, now I'm sure I don't see the comments, but I'm sure because I've heard it from people wait a second, we've had, we've been able to endure rates much higher than we're currently seeing for many different cycles. So what's the big deal? And I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, when you say that in that vacuum, you're right, but it's a rate of change thing. And again, it's a rate of change thing having been at levels at the same levels for close to 15 or so years. So there is absolutely no way the market is prepared for this. And to your point, you know, 6%, yeah, I don't want to say it's a foreground conclusion, you know, maybe it shakes out five and a half and four and three quarters or something like that. However, it's not particularly good. And I will say this as well, along with you, Jamie Dimon has been saying similar. So I don't think the economy nor the market is prepared for what we're in the midst of Elizabeth.
1: Yes. And I'll read you to to your point, what you just said. From my note, aren't bonds supposed to be a lot more boring than this? Yes, in a normal environment, or at least in an environment where we're not contending with unwinding 15 years of abnormally loose monetary policy. Mm -hmm. So that's what the result is right now. And if we can go to the next chart, this is the part where we got to take it back to, okay, why does it matter, right? We've got everybody talking about economic data. It doesn't really matter if the consumer's still spending. Everybody still has a job. We're totally fine. Today, that might be the case, but this is just two different benchmark consumer loan rates. You've got the thirty-year mortgage rate on here in blue. I highlighted this because it recently, this just this week, hit the highest level that it's been at since August of two thousand. So we are nearing seven point nine percent in mortgage rates, and the prime rate, which is basically what all other consumer loans are pegged to. Mortgage rates follow the ten-year more closely. The prime rate follows the Fed funds rate, so that's why you see it in this sort of stepwise function. Prime rate. Again, higher than it's been since the year 2000. So we've got consumer borrowing in mortgages, in auto loans, you name it, whatever type of loan a consumer can take out, the most expensive that it's been in 23 years. At some point, that has to put a dent in consumption. And then people will say, but the job market is so tight, but wage growth has been healthy so we can afford it. And we had all the stimulus so we can absorb it. Wage growth has not kept up with inflation and wage growth has not kept up with almost 8% mortgage rates and a prime rate that's climbed this quickly. So at some point, people will run out. They have been dipping into their savings and perhaps they had more savings than we originally thought, but at some point that runs out too.
0: Do you know when Georgetown University was founded, Elizabeth? I'm sure people in the comments section would know this. There's a specific now, ish, Hmm. throw a number Four
1: score and seven years ago.
0: I appreciate (laughs) that. No is the answer, but fair enough. I think four score is 40 years and 47. No, Hmm. Georgetown University was founded in 1789. There's actually a restaurant in Georgetown called 1789. Okay, Hmm. guy, what are you doing? Well, let's go to Elizabeth's next chart. Net interest expense as a percentage of GDP, oh yeah, <laughs> we went back that. real far on this one. <laughs> we went back real far, so sort of my early days in college, here we are now. Uh-huh. If you don't yeah. think this is terrifying, you just you, you have your head in the sand. Speak to the importance of this,
1: yeah. when Mario said, "Well, how far back do you want this one to go?" And I said, How far back does it go?" And he said, seventeen ninety three I was like, "Yeah, why not? Let's show the whole thing. <laughs>
0: so- there you go.
1: So, and, and again, I'm I'm raising these rebuttals because I, I feel like I know what's coming. People will say to us, well, GDP has grown over this period. You can take on more debt because you have more GDP. So then the ratio of debt to GDP, yada, yada, yada. Yes, that's true. And it does matter. As our economy grew and we are the most developed economy in the world, you can take on more debt and hold it because you've got a bigger economy and, and stronger growth. This, again, is about the rate of change or what I would call the slope, which is the rise over the run. These are projections, but this is the Congressional Budget Office's projections of if we stay at this clip, that's what our interest expense is going to look like as a percent of GDP. That is terrifying. Now, you right. might look at the numbers and say, oh, it's not but 7%. How how bad is that? Billions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: it's a, a lot. It's it is a staggering. lot of money. It's a staggering statistic. And this speaks to, you know, when basically you're, you're pay, the interest you're paying is, key, is your economy. I mean, that's effectively what we're talking about here. I mean, so the debt service on the debt is, it's astronomical and more so now with rates moving to the upside, which is why, again, all these things are problematic. And I'll just say this, you know, in the history of mankind, very few, if any, developed economies have been able to recover from debt to GDP levels of about 125%. We're probably north of 140% or so, if not higher. And it's a staggering number. And then the interest expense, I mean, you, you see what's happened. So all these things, and you're going to like, you guys only pulling bearish stuff out. Well, no, but you know this is important to look at.
1: Yeah, well, and, and it's a feedback loop, right? So to the first question we took, if all the money's coming out of Treasuries, all the money's coming out of equities, some of it too, it's a supply and demand thing. If we are consistently running a budget deficit, we have to borrow in order to meet our obligations, hence the government shutdowns and everything that we've had as scares this year. So if we have to keep borrowing, as rates go up, our interest expense just goes up, which means that we're at more of a deficit and we have to borrow more. And it just continues in this loop and it builds on itself until it probably gets to a point where somebody cries uncle and says, we can't do it that way anymore. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when that happens. Maybe the government actually does shut down. I don't know. But part of why treasuries are still in this period where rates, or I'm sorry, yields are going up and you don't have enough demand is because we continue to issue more in order to cover our own obligations.
0: I want to quickly go to a Clorox chart before we get to butters for a myriad of different reasons. First of all, public service announcement. I was flipping around the other night on the television set and I stumbled upon like, you know, the making of New York City sewers and disgusting mm-hmm. job. The But they say, do not under any circumstances flush down the toilet bowl, these Clorox wipes, which apparently a lot okay. of people do. It creates bad problems. But you talk about that being a bad problem. Look at this chart of Clorox. That's an unmitigated disaster. I mean, this is not a technology company. I mean, this is as staple as it gets. Mm-hmm. And now they will blame this on this latest move lower. On a cyber attack that hit sales hard. I don't even know what that means. I quite frankly. I mean, I'm sure they can explain it. But this, the die had been cast for this long before. So again, when you start seeing staples companies at reasonable valuations have moves like this, you have to, you have to be a little concerned that technology companies with valuations, you know, four or five times, you know, the magnitude seemingly are, are in a perilous state. That's just me. I just barely bring up Clorox. Don't flush down the uh, the the Clorox. Okay, wipes. I
1: mean, I, I use those a lot. I don't. I don't usually flush them, so I think I'm okay. No, you're um, a good
0: citizen. I mean, you're a global citizen. There are a lot of okay. people that don't adhere to that.
1: Yeah, that's that's a that's a big extrapolation about the fact that I put my Clorox wipes in the right receptacle. But uh, I think that a lot of this added together, including a lot of what we showed early in the show. Are examples of dislocations that are happening, perhaps independently from one another, but happening across different parts of the market. And again, in six months, if we look back on this and say, oh, yeah, there was some weird stuff going on, that move in oil was weird, that move in the dollar was weird, those big moves in yields were weird, that big move in Clorox, right? We'll have this laundry list of things that all added together will look like a pretty clear mosaic theory that something was amiss. Uh, So, don't ignore this stuff. And and again, it's not just us trying to reinforce, okay, we've been bearish and now things are going poorly. And here's all the stuff that proves that this is stuff that you have to keep an eye on. And it's stuff that you cannot ignore. Uh, and it's not over yet. And to my point earlier too, we haven't even hit correction territory yet. So I would, I would still be buckled up for a, a bumpy ride. I don't know for how long, and I don't know for how far, but uh, it doesn't feel like it's done.
0: Tighten the chin strap, people. We have a great relationship with SoFi, with you. I mean, it's fantastic. We also have a tremendous relationship with FactSet. We are fortunate that we get to see John Butter's work, the senior earnings analyst of FactSet. We're just, we're privy to it. It's remarkable. You can be privy to it as well. But we're going to share it with you right now because you know what, Elizabeth? If it's Thursday, it's Butter's. Financials projected report earnings growth of eight and a half, eight point seven percent 8.7% in the third quarter, the fourth highest growth rate of the 11 sectors that he looks at. Insurance industry expected to report the highest, which is amazing if you think about it, led by property and casualty. They make money under any circumstances. It's quite remarkable. Banks expected to report growth of 4%. Diversified banks, regional banks, capital markets, and consumer finance industries expected to decline. Okay. Here's the graph. This is what I will say to you. These are expected earnings, but this latest move in the bond market um sort of mirrors a lot of the things that sort of triggered that first round of regional bank and small banks um woes back in March and April. We're seeing it now play out. We haven't heard anything. This is just me talking. I just think it's a matter of time before we see another headline from one of these banks. So, as well relatively as JP Morgan trades to the group, Bank of America trading at multi-year lows, Citibank multi-year lows, Wells Fargo really can't get out of its own way. So in my opinion, the banks are telling a story. This is great to look at, and this is really important, but I'm really fascinated to see how all of this work that he's done plays out in real time, Elizabeth.
1: Well, one of the things that I, we talked about on Monday's podcast was here's the silver lining We know that there were problems in banks. We know that the the story is already out there, right? The cat's out of the bag. We've got a mark-to-market problem. Regional banks are under distress, and the expectations here are in line with that. So that's part of the positive. The issue is banks have, have sort of benefited, the big banks have benefited from the regional bank distress but I think that story has played out. So what are they going to benefit from now? We had some reopening in the IPO markets, and that is great that capital markets are out there and they're alive, but it wasn't as if we went back up to a hundred IPOs. So there was some activity, not a ton of activity, uh, and I don't think that banks are quite out of the woods yet. The other thing about, and and whether I assume this right or wrong, and this is not a, a recommendation to buy or sell either of these names, but you mentioned JP Morgan and you mentioned Bank of America. I frequently think of Bank of America as one of the most consumer exposed mm-hmm. big banks, right? So if people are worried about the consumer, and if you look at how home builders are trading, look at how retail stocks are trading, look at how consumer discretionary is trading, I think people are a little worried about the consumer. So then you've got a bank that is assumed to be or known to be more exposed to consumer lending than some of the other big banks. It's not that big of a surprise to me that it would be down more than than some of its counterparts.
0: You know, as as well, I mean, as good a job as J, Jamie Dimon and J.P. Morgan seem to do navigating navigating the yield curve and stuff. That's how poor a job, and I'm saying this at Bank of America and some of these other banks have done. And there's a reason why we've seen the underperformance. So Doug T- Cass has texting me now. He's starting a, a, a very small position. In a lot of these banks, by the way, he has been negative in these names for quite some time, but I don't think he's saying this is the bottom, but maybe this is a place where you start to take a look. And I understand the valuation. I understand that. I bring up the banks though, specifically these couple of names. I do think Liz, that banks are absolutely starting to, Tell a story. And I think that story is going to play out with, you know, loan loss provisions having to go higher and delinquencies and all the things that we've heard about over the years. I think that's going to start to rear its ugly head in, in over the next couple months.
1: Yep. I I would not be surprised if that were the case. I keep thinking there's got to be some kind of corporate announcement that's going to come, but it might not be in the financial sector. I think it's going to be about leverage. I think it's going to be about credit in some way, shape or form. Uh, and I don't know that it's going to be a bank, but I do think that there's probably something happening right now as we speak that we will find out about in a week, two weeks, a month, something like that. Who knows if Rich. it'll take it down though. There were a lot of things this year already that I thought would take it down and it didn't happen.
0: Sometimes it's just time. I encourage you to watch force 10 from Navarone, perhaps go to your local blockbuster this weekend. And the gist of the movie is they needed to, they, the allies needed to take out a bridge. Um, And in order to do that, they were going to try to blow up the bridge. They realized that they were not going to be able to do that for a number of different reasons. However, there was a dam upstream from the bridge. So the demolition experts planted some dynamite in different places in the dam and set it off. By the way, Harrison Ford was in this movie, Robert Shaw, just as a side note. They detonated uh, the explosives. The explosives went off, but nothing happened, and Harrison Ford was apoplectic. Nothing happened, blah, 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 nothing. And the gentleman, the demolition expert said, give it time, let nature take its course. And mm-hmm. over time, you know, things started to build up, and then obviously the dam broke, took the bridge out, blah, blah, blah. Harrison Ford went to do Star Wars with Obi-Wan Kenobi and those people. It was very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's a damn good story.
0: <laughs> Wicked Witch of the East. I mean, I'm going to sit with that for a while. She's Elizabeth Young. You can follow her on Twitter, at Liz Young Strat. I'm Guy Adami. I want to thank SoFi. I want to thank Factset. Thank you, audience. Elizabeth, thank you. We will see you tomorrow for a special market call with the great Carter Braxton Worth, Dan, Nathan, myself. We'll be putting a couple options trades out there, and we're going to look back at the option trades we did last week. See you later, folks. <music>